0: We're in uh, lesson five. Now, we went through half of it last week, and we're going to go through the last half of it. For those of you who were not here, we're just going to briefly go through, very briefly because we have a lot to to cover in the second half, about the benefits of wisdom. So let's just kind of go through things. We're looking, the first section is verses one through twelve, the blessing of wisdom, so the first thing he starts off is with, all, as we've seen a lot in this section, and we're going to see a lot more in chapters 1 to 9, is an appeal from a father, an appeal from his father to his son. And so the son is urged to listen to the instructions of his father. Remember, we talked a little bit about that. Usually when you get older, especially when you're leaving home, You get to that place where you think, I'm an adult now, I don't need to listen anymore And but yet the problem is is that you haven't experienced life much. You haven't gone through you haven't been beat up enough yet to have wisdom. Now when you get older, like many times you know, I think now as a forty one year old I think, boy, you know what, I thought my dad was dumb, but he was a lot smarter than I thought he was. And, and there's, there's a lot of truth to that. You begin to realize when, you, when you're just sprouting your wings and ready to get out of the house, you think you know everything, but now you realize you didn't know nothing. In fact, you didn't know less than nothing because of the whole aspect of lack of experience. But as you get older, you begin to realize how much you didn't know and how much you still don't know. Have you noticed That, that as you get older, you realize how much you still don't know. And he's urging his son... To listen to the instructions of his father. Listen to the instructions of his father. Now, here's why he needs to listen. By listening to his father, he will have longevity and prosperity. By listening to the instructions of his father, by listening to wisdom being expressed, by listening to someone who's been around and who's been through the ropes and everything, you're going to add life. To your, to you, you're going to add years to your life. Now you say, how do you? God already knows your life. What do you mean you're going to add to it? Well, you're not going to shortchange your life by getting involved in things that you shouldn't get involved in. Let me just let me just point out to you. Have you noticed that sin is awfully hard on people? Have you noticed that? Have you ever looked at, you know, if you think back, you remember maybe in high school or something. There was a girl that maybe was a very beautiful girl, but then she involved herself in habits, maybe drinking, smoking, or other things that just took a toll on her body, and even ten years later, she didn't look like she did back in high school compared to maybe someone who didn't involve themselves. They still had an absence of beauty around them. There is a truth to the fact that sin is hard on your body. And you can tell people who smoke because they get the certain wrinkles on their face. You can tell people who drink. It just affects your body. And it takes away from your life. I mean, studies show if you involve yourself in that kind of activity, it will take away from your life. You cut down on your lifespan. So, he's saying here, by listening to me, you're going to add longevity. By listening to me, you're going to add prosperity. You mean I'm going to get rich? No, not necessarily. But you're not going to get any poorer either. By listening to wisdom, you're not going to get any poorer because you spent money frivolously. So, he is calling his son to listen to him. Then we get to Proverbs 5 and 6. And those are familiar passages, that's a familiar passage to all of us. Let me read those to you again. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not unto your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. And so he's going to issue a call to his son to trust God, which is really our call. You and I are called to what? Trust God. So here's a couple things here. We need to notice first of all, the son is called the son is called to trust God by not relying on his own understanding. The son is called to trust God by not relying on his own understanding. Because here's what we'll do. And you are taught this. In our society, we're taught, Bruce, you've got a brain. Use it. Mike, you've got a brain. Use it. Art, you've got a brain. Use it. So when you're facing a difficult situation, God gave you guys a brain. And so you try to figure it out, and that's what we're taught. To figure out, man can do it. That's our society, isn't it? Man can do it. All we need is just a little bit more brain power and a little bit more, and we'll be able to figure it out and overcome things. Is that true? Is it true? No. you're facing situations, and I mentioned this last week, in your life, situations. Do you know every detail about what you're facing? So, as you try to make an assessment of what you need to do, do you have all the information? Do you have all the blanks filled out about what you need to do? No. So, when you're making a judgment about what you need to do concerning maybe a crisis or some kind of situation in your life. Is your judgment foolproof? No, it's really like stabbing in the dark at something, isn't it? You're hoping that what I'm deciding to do in this situation will help me out. And so that's what, I mean, that's really what our understanding is. You you really don't know. And so what, Solomon is saying to his son here is this, look, trust God rather than rely on your own understanding. Now, if I'm going to trust God, what am I going to trust in? How do I trust God? What has He given me that I can trust in? Well, the Holy Spirit, yes, but yeah, the Scripture The principles of the Scripture. The commands of the Scripture. In fact, we're going to go through Proverbs here, and he's going to talk about illicit relationships. And he's going to talk about the danger of illicit relationships. And that illicit relationships will lead to what? Death. They'll lead to death. And when you're involved in illicit relationships and it leads to death, he's saying, don't get involved with them. Sounds to me like pretty good advice, doesn't it? Pretty good advice. So, he's saying, don't rely on your own understanding, but trust God. Rely on Him. Rely on His Word, His revealed Word. Then he goes on and says that as a person acknowledges the Lord in his life, he finds that God will give guidance. As you begin to acknowledge Him in your life, As you begin, you you might be saying, what does that word acknowledge? You mean say that he exists? No, That's a part of it, but it's more than that. It's coming to a place in your life where you come to him and you say, Lord, you're in control. Lord, you're Lord of my life. Lord, you know everything. I don't. And Lord, I submit myself to you. I place myself in your hands. Lord, you guide me. You direct me. You give me wisdom. Because I don't see everything here. Lord, I'm getting ready to enter into a business deal. And I, I'm not sure about this. But Lord, you, you help me to understand that business deal, if, whether or not I should get involved with that. Lord, I'm not sure about this situation with my neighbors. And I'm not sure what I need to do here. Lord, you, you guide me and tell me what I need to do. See, those are the kind of things we need to be seeking guidance from God from, about, shouldn't we? Now, notice I just mentioned two things. Business and neighbors. Are those commonly things that we talk to God about? Not really, no. But see, God will give you guidance in those areas. See, we talk to God about what? The big crisis stuff. But God wants to be involved in the everyday stuff of our lives also. Now, some of you nodded your head, yes, and I'm glad. But for the most part, for most of us, we don't involve God in the everyday decisions of our life. And so he's saying, look, if you acknowledge the Lord in your life, if you put him first in your life, he's going to give you guidance. So then he goes on in verse 7 and 8 talks about wisdom and the fear of God. Wisdom and the fear of God. First thing I want you to notice there is this. Is that he says this. The son is called not to see himself as wise... But rather he should fear God. The son is called not to see himself as wise, but rather he should fear God. Don't see yourself as all-knowing. We talked about this last week. Don't think that you have arrived. Have you ever met somebody that thinks they've arrived? They've arrived as far as they know everything. You ever talk to somebody like that? You don't like talking to them, do you? I don't like talking to them. Because no sooner than you say, "Well, oh, you know, in face," well, you know, in my experience, and you're like, you're already writing them off. You're like, don't waste the air. You're, I'm serious, because they see themselves as wise. He says, "Look, don't see yourself as wise, but rather fear God. Put God first in your life. Put God first in your life." And listen, here's what will happen. If you do this, if you don't put yourself up there, but you rather you fear God, he says this, the result will be spiritual and physical wellness. You'll be well, you'll be whole spiritually as well as physically. You'll be well spiritually as well as physically. Then verse 9 and 10, again he talks about honoring God with your possessions. And we looked at this last week and he says this. The son is to honor God with the first fruits of all that he has. The son is to honor God with the first fruits of all that he has. And remember, we weren't just talking about the offering plate because a lot of times you've heard this passage and it's the pastor has told you this passage and he always talks about this passage with reference to what? The offering. That's not just what he's talking about here. You're to honor God with the first fruits of all that you have. That means you make available to God what you have. The best of what you have. Lord, you, this is, you gave it to me. You use it for, me, for your kingdom. Using it for the kingdom is not just giving it in the offering plate. Using it for the kingdom is if you're sitting right here and you look over there and you see somebody that's going through it and you realize, you know, I have the means to help him out. Lord, do you want me to help him out? Chances are the Lord's going to say yes. Then you go over and help him. Now, here's what we'll do. We'll say, well, yeah, but if I help him with this, what if I need it later? Don't you think the same God who told you to help him will help you? Honor him with the first fruits. Of what you have. And listen. Here's why. In doing this, the son will experience the blessing of God. If you do this, you're going to experience the blessing of God. You mean I'm going to get richer? No, not necessarily. Hey, let me ask you something. How many of you have ever experienced the blessing of helping someone and had, just had that blessing of knowing that you helped somebody through a crisis? Raise your hand. There's nothing like it, isn't it? And you know what? They don't forget. It's a blessing that lingers on forever. Because maybe two years down the road, they'll say, yeah, he was there to help me when I needed help. Or they may, maybe they're not going to be that bold and say it out loud, but they might come up to you and say, you know, I'll, I'll never forget how you helped me. I'll never forget. See, there's a blessing that comes from that. You know what? There's a blessing that comes from being able to lay your head down on the pillow at night and know that you did the right thing. Rather than lay your head down on the pillow with regret saying, well, you know, I could have helped them, but I didn't. I didn't. See, there's a blessing with that. Now, then verse 11 through 12, he talks about the chastisement of God. And he says this, The son is not to reject the chastisement of God because it comes from his love. You and I aren't to reject God's chastisement. Listen, if you are a child of God here, I'm going to mark it down. You can mark it down. You're going to be taken to the woodshed. Now, some of you are senior saints here, young but senior saints. You maybe have thought that you've gotten beyond going to the woodshed. No. As long as you're alive, he's going to take you to the woodshed if you need to be taken. Hopefully, as you get older, you'll learn to respond quicker. And the trips to the woodshed aren't as frequent. But God will take you to the woodshed. Now, here's the thing. You have one of two choices to know how to handle being taken to the woodshed. You can either accept it and grow from it, Or you can reject it. And you you and I, you've seen this with children, haven't you? What happens when they reject chastisement? Yeah, they get it again eventually. And and there's contempt. we, We see what happens in society with those who, what? Reject correction. Okay? So the point is, is don't reject it. That's what he's saying here. Okay, so now, he gives us the high value wisdom in verses 13 through 20. Here's what he's saying. Wisdom has something to offer. Wisdom gives the hearer something that far exceeds what the world has to offer. Wisdom gives the hearer something that far exceeds what the world has to offer. Wisdom gives the hearer something that far exceeds what the world has to offer. See, wisdom gives you something far more... You know, the world has a lot to offer, doesn't it? The world has opinions. The world tells you that you need to do this. The world, but can I be honest with you? What the world says, does it change? Continually, doesn't it? So what the world told you 20 years ago, is it the same thing today? No. Can I be honest with you? What the world's telling you now, I'm going to tell you, 20 years from now is going to change. Twenty years from now it's going to change. Does wisdom stay the same? Yeah, wisdom stays the same. So it has something far more it has something that exceeds far more than what the world has to offer. And then notice the generosity of wisdom. Wisdom gives with both hands generously. Wisdom gives with both hands generously. So it's not like wisdom's holding back on you. Wisdom is there for you to receive. You've just got to ask for it. And notice what she gives. She gives longevity, riches and more that provide a quality life. Wisdom will give you all of those things. And then we finally the last thing we looked at last week is it is through knowledge. It is through knowledge and understanding that God created the heavens and earth. See, it was through wisdom that God was able to create the heavens and the earth. Now we're going to focus on verses 21 through 35 and the value of wisdom in building relationships with others. So I want you to notice with me verses 21 through 35. First of all, notice verse 21. My son, let them not depart from your eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. So again, we're going to see another appeal here to the Son. And here's what he says. The Son is once again exhorted to embrace wisdom and discretion. He's once again exhorted to embrace wisdom and discretion. Let them not depart from your eyes. What do you think that means? What do you think it means to not let wisdom depart from your eyes? Okay, you're, that's good. Let's build upon what Bruce said. Keep your eyes on it, make it your goal. How am I gonna keep my, I'm gonna keep my eyes on what? Is wisdom just out there? Here I am, look at me! Yes, you're gonna, you're gonna make the Word of God a part of your life. You're gonna read the Word of God. You're gonna read the Word of God. And listen, you might say, well, I've already read through the Word of God. Yeah, but every time you read through it, you're going to see something different. You're going to see God speak to you about something in your life at that point, if you read through it. See, wisdom is right... Every one of you has a book of wisdom right there in front of you. Every one of you, whether you're holding one or it's right there in the pew in front of you, you've got a book of wisdom here, and you need to read... So, like, for instance, I, in my personal devotion time, I've been reading through the letters of Timothy. And as I was reading through it, things were sticking out at me that i would read before many times. And I've read through Timothy many times. But they spoke to me at that moment. God used them to speak to me, to communicate to me, to show me something from my life. And I decided, well, you know, I'm going to read through Timothy again. Wisdom is there right before your eyes. And so he says, God, you know, he says to them, look, let them not depart from your eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. Keep it close to you. So that's the appeal. So then notice again, he gives the benefits of heeding wisdom. Verse 22, 23, 24, 25, and 26. So let's notice the first benefit we see in verse 22. So they will be life to your soul and grace to your neck. Here's what he says. By heeding wisdom, one will add to his life. By heeding wisdom, you'll add to your life. I think a better way of saying that, by heeding wisdom, you're not going to take away from your life. You're not going to take away from your life. By heeding it, you're not going to take away from your life. You need to apply wisdom to your life. And as you apply wisdom to your life, you're going to add to the days of your life. Then notice verse 23. Then you will walk safely in your way and your foot will not stumble. He's talking about safety here. So what's he saying? By heeding wisdom, one will avoid troubles and dwell in safety. A person who has wisdom is going to avoid the pitfalls of life. He's going to avoid situations where it might cause harm to himself or his family. So by heeding wisdom, I'm what? I am avoiding troubles and dwelling in safety. A wise person isn't going to do certain things, not because he wants to see what it's like, but because he knows that if he goes there, he's opening himself up for what? Problems, Opening himself up for problems. And so he's going to avoid troubles and dwell in safety. Then notice now verse 24. Notice what he says there. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. Yes, you will lie down with your sleep, and your sleep will be sweet. So what's he's talking about here?
1: By heeding wisdom,
0: by heeding wisdom... You will be, one will be able to enjoy a peaceful sleep. Listen, when you listen to wisdom and you apply wisdom, you're going to be able to lay your head down at night and be able to get a restful sleep. Because you're not going to be worrying, well, did I do the right thing? Did I, you know, what's going to happen tomorrow? Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? When you apply wisdom to your life, you're able to put your head down on the pillow and know, Whatever tomorrow holds, I'm, I'm facing it with God. Did you, you guys hear what Mike's saying? If you pray for every aspect of your life, you're seeking God's wisdom. And he said, even in the little things. And we, we talked about that a little bit earlier. But how many of us do that? And I'm not talking about what color socks do I need to put on today, Lord? What shirt? That's not what Mike's talking about here. He's talking about as you face those things in your life on a day-to-day basis, if you're seeking God, if I'm seeking God, am I seeking wisdom? And it's got to be more than just a lip service prayer. Oh, give me wisdom, Lord, and then try to figure it out on your own. You've got to actively, Mike's talking about actively seeking God. Lord, I need your help in this area. And so, Mike, when you do that, you're able to put your head down on the pillow at night and sleep right, aren't you? Yeah, you get a peace. Peace. You get a peace. In fact, that almost ties in, if you go over to Philippians chapter 4, 6 and 7, Be anxious for nothing, but in all things through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests made known unto God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. See, when you seek God and seek His wisdom, even though you may not have the answer, you'll have what? Peace. Let me ask you something. Do you have trouble sleeping at night? Some of it may be like me. I'm an insomniac. Every little chicken, rooster, or whatever, wake me up. But for some of you, it may be that you're just constantly thinking, 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 thinking about what's going on. You either had too much caffeine or you didn't talk to God enough. You either had too much caffeine or you didn't talk to God enough. And so that's what he's saying here, that wisdom, by heeding it, you're able to enjoy a peaceful night's sleep. If you haven't had a peaceful night's sleep in a long time, you maybe need to pray. And seek God's wisdom with whatever it is that is on your heart. Then notice verse 25 and 26. That was a good answer, Mike. Don't be afraid of the sudden terror, nor of trouble from the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence, And will keep your foot from being caught. Don't be afraid. So by heeding wisdom, by heeding wisdom, one will be able to stand in the confidence of the Lord. You don't need to be afraid. When you heed wisdom, you don't need to be afraid. No matter how dark things get outside, no matter what might be coming down the pike that looks like it's going to crush you, you don't even need to be afraid about being crushed. What would Paul say? For me to live is what? Christ. To die is what? Gain. You have a better perspective on life. You're not worried about it. And so, you see the benefits of eating wisdom. So now he's going to give us five sayings, verses 27 through 35. He's going to give us five sayings concerning relationships. All of us here have relationships, don't we? Yes? Yes? You have spousal relationships, parent-child relationships, work relationships, friendship relationships. Hopefully you all here have church relationships. Now he's going to give us some sayings, some wisdom for you and I to understand about our relationships with each other. So let's take them one by one. Look with me at verse 27 and notice what he says. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is, when it is in the power of your hand to do so. So notice something. Here's what he's saying. We are, to fulfill, we are to fulfill our obligations to those who have earned it. When you have the power within you to be able to do good to those, you're to fulfill that obligation. And let me, to be honest with you, each of you here, whether you realize it or not, are obligated to each other. you realize that? We say it was just me. I'm just here today. It's me. I'm not attached to anybody here. I'm just here. No, no. no. If you're here as a part of this church, we're obligated to each other. And if you have it within your means to help somebody else here, you have an obligation to help somebody else. In fact, James would go further and say, to him who knoweth to do good and doeth not, it is what? Sin. Sin. See that's why I'm saying, remember when we talked about the first fruits thing, that you make the first fruits available to God. We're not talking about the offering. We're not just talking about an offering. We're talking about if I'm sitting here and I'm looking over there and I'm realizing, hmm, you know, they're going through something right now, I can help them out. Or he's got a work project and he needs some help doing that and I've got the expertise, I'll help him out. Because it doesn't have to just be money. We all think in terms of what? The wallet. Right? For God gave me, gave me education. God gave me experience. Some of you here could tear an engine apart. I wouldn't even know how to turn the bolt the right way. I might break it off. But God gave you the understanding of how to tear an engine apart. Maybe somebody needs an engine tore apart. Some of you, He gave abilities to sew things. See, it's the first fruits of all that you have—not just your treasure, but your talents—and you're there for each other. And so we have an obligation. We're to fulfill obligations to each other. Look, you've got an obligation to each other here. You've got an obligation to each other. And I know immediately as soon as i said that, well, yeah, George, I've done that before, but I got burned. Yeah, you know, you take risks in relationships, don't you? So let me ask you a question. So, the last time you got burned by your spouse, did you just give up on your marriage? Hopefully not. Hopefully not, right? Well, if we all gave up the first time we got burned by our spouse, what would happen here? We wouldn't, none of us would be here. We'd all be divorced. Isn't that true? So, fulfill your obligations. Notice verse 28. Again, he's stressing the same thing. Look at what he says in verse 28. Do not say to your neighbor, go back and come back and tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Here's what he's saying. We are not to withhold help from those in need when we have the power to help. you got the power to help. We don't need to have a committee meeting to decide whether or not you need to help. Does everybody understand? If you've got the power to help, you don't need to have a committee meeting to decide, should I help? Oh, let's see. I think I'm going to take two weeks to pray and fast about that one. When you've got the ability right there to help. Do you need to pray and fast? No. He's telling you right here. Wisdom says, if you've got the ability to help, help. Well, I'm not sure what might come down the pipe. Yeah, but God knows. And if he's telling you to help now, do you think he'll be able to help you later? If he's concerned about that individual and wants you to be to get, receive the blessing of helping that individual, you think he's concerned about you and will help you later too? You think? I was reading a book on prayer this week, and the guy was telling a story of a of a pastor from England named Hastings, and he was helping out a family who basically was starving to death. They didn't have anything. And in his pocket, he had a half a crown, enough to buy him his lunch, his supper, and maybe his breakfast. And so he decided, as he was there with the family, he decided to pray about it and said, Lord, this family needs help. Could you provide for it? And as he was praying that, the Holy Spirit convicted him and said, Why are you asking me to help when you have a half a crown in your pocket? Don't bother asking me to help them when you have the ability to help them yourself. And that's what Proverbs is telling us here. Proverbs, notice what he says, verse 28, Do not say to your neighbor, Go and come back and tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. When you have it with you. So generosity to those in need. Notice now verse 29 and 30, we see the next saying. Do not devise evil against your neighbor, for he dwells by you for safety's sake. Do not strive with a man without cause, if you have done if he has done you no harm. So notice something here. Here's our actions towards our neighbors. We are not to do evil or to strive with our neighbors. You're not to do evil to strive with your neighbors. How many of you have woken up in a foul mood and you just wanted to clean someone's clock? Bruce is the only honest one here. Some are smiling. And a lot of times you're in that funky, foul mood. You woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Maybe you're, you didn't have that peaceful sleep at night because you didn't seek wisdom. And you got up in a funky, foul mood and the first thing you see is your, your your neighbor's cat using your garden as its bathroom. And so you're in this funky, foul mood, and so now you're going to war against your neighbor. Right? See, the Scripture's telling us here that here's another saying concerning our relationships. He says what? Don't do evil or strive with your neighbors. I think there's some wisdom there, isn't it? Have you ever had something going on between you and your neighbor? Life is miserable when you and your neighbor aren't at harmony with each other, isn't it? Especially if you live in town. If you live in town and you've got a funk going on with your neighbor, there, there, there's a problem there, isn't it? And usually it doesn't get rectified. It could be years of turning your nose up at somebody if they're walking out the door and not talking to each other. Hey, Larry and I know what that's like. And we didn't even take the slide with anybody. We had a guy move in next to us in Canada. And he was all friendly. Hi, how are you? And, my name's is John. And, uh, you know, and it's all friendly and stuff. And then I said, hi, my name is George. He said, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. He never talked to us again. He wouldn't even look at us. We're standing in the grocery line. There's my neighbor in front of me in the grocery line. And I'm like, smiling. And he's ignoring Obviously, he got burnt by a pastor at some point. Do you think? you think? You know, the whole point is is don't strive with your neighbors because life can be miserable. Then notice verse 31. Do not envy the oppressor and choose none of his ways. Here's what he says. "We We are not to envy what the wicked have or choose to live in their past. To choose to live in their ways. And it's easy for us to do that, isn't it? Because you look at the wicked. Look at the wicked. The wicked wear nice clothes. The wicked drive nice cars. The wicked seem to have a lot of money. they got the latest styles going on. You're still wearing, two, you're still wearing stuff from the 80s. That's why you always wear classic, because it never goes out. So, you know, but you're envying them. The wicked drive a new truck. They're getting a new truck. they got a flat tire. It's time to get a new truck. And you're envying them. Isn't that true? Isn't it true? And what does he say? We are not, Solomon tells us, we are not to envy what the wicked have. Now, why are we not to envy what they have? Let's talk about that for a second. Yeah, it's all they have, because what do they have later? Yeah, they got hell. What will you have later? Riches in eternity, far beyond anything you can ever think of. You know, when that that truck is gone and vaporized, and they're gone, you'll still be here. So don't envy it. Plus, can I be honest with you, as I grow older, I realize now that they. I kind of understand why they have what they have. And I'll be honest with you, I don't envy what they have anymore because I start to realize, well, if I envy what they have, I have to envy their debt load. Or how they got it, they maybe can't put their head down on the pillow at night. Yeah, so he says not to envy them. And then finally, look at verse 32 to 35, we see the final statement here. For the perverse man is an abomination to the Lord, and his secret counsel is with the upright. The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the just. Surely he scorns the scornful, but gives grace to the humble. The wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the legacy of fools. Here we see wickedness contrasted with righteousness. So two things. Number one, here's what we see. He says this. The judgment of God is reserved for the wicked. The judgment of God is reserved for the wicked. Look at it. It just says it right there. If you want to know what's happening to that wicked person, he says in verse 32 to 33 that that perverse person is is an abomination to the Lord. The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked. He scorns the scornful and there will be shame in the legacy of fools. So don't don't uh, don't envy the wicked. Don't envy them. Hey, listen, it just takes common sense. When you look at your TV and you look at the news and you see what's happening with the Hollywood jet set, don't envy them. Don't envy them. Be thankful that you don't have to go through that kind of stuff that they're going through. Oh yeah, they got lots of money. But you know what? A lot of them commit suicide because their money can't buy them happiness, can it? It just buys them more misery and more pain. Then notice something. Grace and blessing is reserved for the righteous. Grace and blessing are reserved for the righteous. You know what? You seek after wisdom. You've trusted Jesus Christ in your life as your Savior. Grace and blessing is reserved for you. Now again, does blessing mean material blessing? Does it mean money? No. You know what? Rod and I just went to the backside of nowhere, up a mountain. To people who probably had never seen a blanc, a white guy. Isn't that right, Rod? They have nothing. They will always have nothing. And they're okay with that. They're okay with that. You know, we have everything. Guess what? We're not okay with it. We get a computer. It's got a certain processor in it. Works so fast. New one comes out six months later. Guess what? We're no longer content with ours because there's one out there that is just a teeny bit faster. Like that's going to speed up your life? It isn't. So you've got a TV. Now there's HD TV. So like, do you really need to have high definition? Well, I know. They're making a law now. That all things are going to have to go to that eventually. But do you understand? So you went from this to this. Now you're looking at projection system in your room with stereo surround sound. And guess what? You'll get that and you won't be What? We won't be happy with that either. Quit envying what the wicked have. Why? Because grace and blessing is reserved for the righteous. Okay, let's pray and close our time.